Chapter 38 is the story of Yehuda and Tamar. It's one of the great stories of the Bible. And it's also a story that assumed enormous significance over the last 100, 150 years, because this was an example the Bible critics held up of a case where the uh, redactor, as they called it, simply put a story uh, into the text which interrupts the larger story. As they point out, chapter 37 ends with the sale of Joseph and chapter 39 begins with the sale of Joseph. Chapter 38, we're not there, you wouldn't miss it. So they felt it was slipped into the text. Perhaps the redactor felt that he has no choice but to include it somewhere. So he threw it into chapter 38. Now, as a response to that thinking, uh, Professor Casuto wrote an important article and it was picked up by others as well. And they demonstrated, and I will address this briefly as well, that 38 is actually positioned in a very strategic place. Chapter 38 is a chapter which is deeply related to what precedes, and I would add, even more significant in terms of what follows. Before I get to that, I would simply make the observation that the idea that you can't interrupt a story to include relevant material is an idea that to me makes very little sense. The book of Shmuel, book of Samuel, often tells a story, moves to another story, weaves them together. It's an artistic masterpiece, and the idea that writers are bound by very precise conventions, in this case, I'm not even sure it's a convention, that writers and the great ones have to conform to the thinking of uh, a group of people who presuppose what literature is about, uh, nothing can make uh, actually less sense than that. But the story of Yudava Tamar is deeply connected, and I will briefly uh, comment on the positioning of chapter 38. Chapter 38 tells us the story of Yehuda, and Yehuda figures prominently in chapter 37. The sale of Joseph uh, was suggested by Yehuda. The brothers have thrown Joseph into a pit. The pit, says the Torah, has no water. Joseph's in the desert without water in a pit. If the brothers leave him in the pit, Joseph will die. Reuven, whose intention is to save Joseph, says to his brothers, he doesn't say, let's save Joseph. He says, let's kill Joseph. But instead of killing him with our own hands, he says, instead of us killing him with our hands, let's in effect cause his death. Throw him into the pit, let our hand not be against him. Reuven makes the distinction uh, of killing on one hand and causing death on the other. Apparently he feels that that's a valid distinction. Again, his intention is to go back to the pit and to save Joseph. But the very fact that he makes that distinction is curious. So the brothers are sitting down to eat. Joseph is in a pit with no water. And the brothers, they sit down to eat bread. And behold, it says in chapter 37, they see a caravan of Yishmaelim, of traders headed towards Egypt. 
At that point, Judah speaks up in the 25th verse of chapter 37, and he says to his brothers, What benefit? What do we gain by killing our brother and covering up his blood? Rather, let's sell him to the Ishmaelim. Let our hand not be against him. He's our own flesh, our brother. The brothers heard. And when it says the brothers heard, to hear in biblical Hebrew can mean to accept, it can mean to understand, it can mean to hear. So whether the brothers accepted what Judah said, or they're thinking about it, I hear you, could be. Now, of course, if, if you read the text of, of chapter 37 that the brothers actually did sell Joseph, then they heard him and they accepted it and they did it. But a careful reading of chapter 37 does not suggest in the plain reading of the text that the brothers actually sold him. It sounds that in the interim, someone else came by, a set of Midianites, and they, without the brothers knowing it, pulled Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites. So the brothers have caused the sale of Joseph. But the person who suggested it was none other than Judah. Of all the brothers, the only one who says he's our brother, and the word brother appears four times in verses 25 and 26, is Judah. So Judah understands something about brotherly responsibility. Now, he doesn't fully understand it. Because if he fully understood it, he wouldn't say let's sell him. He would say let's return him. But he understands something about brotherly responsibility. And that Judah appears in chapter 38. In chapter 38, Judah marries a woman and he quickly has three children. The woman is a Canaanite woman. They have three children, the oldest of which is named uh, Er. And he, Er is Ra. Er is Ayin Reish and Ra is Reish Ayin. So he is bad. And the Torah says in chapter 38 that God killed him. At which point Judah speaks to son number two, whose name is Onan, and Judah says to son number two, Go unto your brother's wife, perform reverent marriage, and raise up seed, or means children, for your brother. So twice in Judah's command, it's about brotherly responsibility. The idea being of reverent marriage, that the kin lines, if the brother marries the wife of the deceased brother who had no children, the kin lines of the deceased brother can be extended through the marriage of his brother to, to the widow. But the son, Onan, says the Torah, understanding that the, the, the line will not be his, lo lo yazara, vayam arza, So he, twice the word brother appears here, he does, he's perfectly happy to sleep with the brother's uh, wife. However, he makes sure that she can't conceive. So, God doesn't like this either. God sees what this second son has done. And the Torah says, God killed him as well. So the Torah lays the death of the two sons of Judah clearly at the feet of, of the brothers. Judah's sons are guilty. Now we have son number three, whose name is Shelah. And Judah, says the Torah, does not instruct his third son to marry the widow. But he speaks to the widow whose name is Tamar. 
And he says to Tamar, Shvi Beitavich, why don't you go back to your father's house as a widow? Adigdal Shela Beniatu, my son Shela, third number son grows up, third son grows up. Kiyomar, for he said to himself, he thought, lest he die like his brothers. What is wrong with this picture? So first of all, he's not telling her the truth. He has no intention of permitting his son to marry Tamar, because he blames Tamar for the death of his two sons, which is incorrect. The Torah says it's not her fault. They're no good. He, he may not know that. Secondly, he says to her, remain a widow in your father's house. That is to say, he binds her to his family. She can't marry anybody else. She's connected to the family. So from she has commitments to him, but he has no commitments to her. But the deeper point of the story is that in preventing son number three from marrying Tamar, he's actually harming his uh, other two children because they both died without children. If Leverett marriage would take place, then the kin lines of at least one of the two sons could be extended. In point of fact, the way the story plays out, finally, when Judah himself ends up sleeping with Tamar, she has twins. So the kin lines of both of them are actually extended. So over here, the Judah of chapter 38 just the beginning of the story. The Judah of 38 is actually the the Judah of 37. That is to say, he understands something about brotherly responsibility that he does understand, something. But he doesn't fully understand the depth of it. If he understood the depth, he would understand that there's a responsibility of a brother to his brothers. And I would say, in addition, he doesn't fully comprehend the responsibility of a parent to a child. Because in favoring child number three, in protecting child number three, which is logical from a certain perspective, but the protecting of child number three is at the expense of child number one and child number two. And this theme will be repeated later in the book of Genesis.